We are in a series called Exodus, The Journey to Freedom, and we are just studying all the way through the book of Exodus. We're looking to this Old Testament resource of wealth, and we're going to ask the question, what can we learn about God? What does freedom really mean? We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but this morning, I want to begin by inviting you to picture a child, a young child standing on the edge of a swimming pool. And in the water of the pool is a parent. They're in the water, and they have their arms reached out to the child, and they're asking the child, jump, jump in the pool, jump to me. I want you to do this. But the child is a little bit hesitant. Child's not so sure that this is something that the child wants to do. I want you to help me brainstorm as we begin this morning. What are some of the reasons the child might have for not being willing, not being ready to jump in the water? And this is not a rhetorical question. I'm going to repeat the question in a moment, but then I want somebody to give me what is a reason why the child might not want to jump in the water? They're afraid the parent won't catch them. Wes says, the unknown. Maybe this is new. This is a mystery. Evie. There could be a shark in the water. There might actually be a shark, or there might be the perception of a shark in the water. Either way, I'm not jumping in. Dan the man. Aquaphobia. They're, they're afraid of water. Maybe they had a bad experience. Brittany. They can't swim. They know they can't swim. Right? What else comes to mind? Anne? Ooh, fear of the person who's going to catch them. I don't know if I can trust you. This water thing's new for me. Maybe it's new for you. Michaela? Past bad experience with water. Absolutely. That will keep this child on the edge of the pool. Now, again, think of this same scenario. I want you to brainstorm with me, again, out loud. What are some of the things the parent might say to the child? to reassure them or to encourage them to jump even though they're reluctant. What comes to mind? John. Don't worry. I, you're wondering if I can catch you? I can. I can. Here's my credentials. I'm a great catcher. You can trust me. Yeah. What else might the parents say? Brittany. Hey, yeah. Look to your floaties. I'm not sure. I think I'm going to sink. No, no, no. This, this whole thing is designed to make you float. That could be a reassuring piece of information to point out. What else? Michaela. You're brave. You can do this. You jumped off the roof without permission. <laughs> Why wouldn't you jump in the pool? Yeah, Wes. I got rid of the sharks. <laughs> no more sharks. Since Monday, we had the shark guy come. Yeah, it's safe. You don't need to be afraid of the things that you're afraid of. Any other last thoughts? Anne. You can do this. You can do this. Encouragement. Yeah. God is with you. Yeah. All kinds of things you might point to. Yeah, Evie. Last time you were only two. If you're afraid, like you're older now. You, you, yeah, absolutely. Okay. The reason I wanted to get your brains poolside this morning is because the text we're going to listen to, we're going to find God is encouraging Moses to do something. Moses is pretty reluctant. Uh, yeah, let's just go straight to the text. This is Exodus chapter 
3. God calling Moses to do something. Moses not 100% on board. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jericho, his, uh, his father-in-law. Sorry, I messed that up already. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Then the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. And I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Pause there. God has something specific in mind for Moses. I want you to do something. It's what I want. It's a very specific thing. And it might be a little bit scary for you. And what we're going to hear next are a series of excuses that Moses gives of why he's not up for doing this. A lot of uh, reasons. I, was, I wasn't sure whether or not to call Moses' reasons excuses or, or reasons or cop-outs sometimes. Isn't it interesting? You, this is kind of just a side note. Have you ever noticed when uh, you're giving reasons why you don't want to do something, they're reasons, and when someone else is giving you reasons why they don't want to do what you want them to do, they're excuses? I wasn't quite sure kind of how to paint Moses in this light. Are they reasons? Are they excuses? I decided, let's just call them questions. God says, I want you to do this. Moses, I, he says, God, I've got some follow-up questions I'd like you to hear. So here's what Moses says. Question number one, well, who am I? But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this is the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain where we are right now. Moses' first protest, his first question is, well, who am I? Why would you send me? God says, I'll tell you who you are. You're my plus one. Because I'm going to go there and I'm going to be with you. So don't worry about not being enough, not being Good enough. And then he gives him this sign, and this is kind of a weird sign. If someone was like, hey, I'm going to reassure you, and this is how you can know that this is going to go well. After it all goes well, we'll get together. Like, ah, I don't know. That's not the best reassurance, but that's what God says. This is a sign for you. After it all happens, we're going to meet here. You'll see. Mm, it still requires some trust. Moses is not all the way convinced. He has a second question that he wants to present to God. And the question forgot to say this earlier. Let me step back. 
as we hear Moses' questions to God, see if any of these resonate with you. See if any of these are like, yeah, I, I would have said that too. Or in your own life, when there's a, something that you know you ought to do, but you don't want to do, see if any of Moses' reasons, excuses, questions kind of are ones that you can relate to. Question number two, what if I don't know the answer? Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And then they ask me, well, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Moses' concern is, I don't, I don't know you very well. I don't know if I have the name right. I don't know if they'll recognize the name. How do we account for that? And God says, well, I'm going to tell you my name. Get to know me. This is a chance for you to have what it is that you need to feel equipped when you go before my people. Okay, two questions asked, two questions answered by God. Moses has a third question. Yeah, but what if they don't believe me? Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, we're going to get some signs that are a little bit more in the presence, a little bit, maybe a little bit more convincing. What's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it like you do. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, turned it back into a staff in his hand. Or it turned back into a staff. Cool. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak. When he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back in his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, then take some water from the Nile, pour it on the ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Okay, God is giving Moses something to work with. His concern, what if they don't believe me? God says, I'm going to give you some things that they can see. Because I'm asking the people to trust that this happened, that this God is someone that cares about you, that will do something, that I actually heard this and had this experience. What if they're skeptical? What if I can't convince them? God's like, all right, I'm going to help you. I'm going to get you a little bit closer. As I was thinking about this question and this exchange, I'm reminded about the nature of faith. I was speaking with a young man one time, and he said, uh, after we had had several meetings together, he said, I, I, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe that the Bible is true. I'm not sure about God. Um, but before I met you, I used to think that Christians were just a bunch of sheep, just blindly following the person in front of them, blindly doing what they were told, without having thought through the testimonies in the, in the Bible, and the evidences, and, and just how you come to Faith. I thought it was just, let's just trust. That's the whole message of faith. You have to trust, do what I say, get in line. He said, after having met some Christians, I see that there's reason behind it. There's a, a thoughtfulness. And he still wasn't at this place of believing. 
But he said what he learned was that there are some things that you can stand on that get you a little bit closer. And I think that that's important to know because a lot of people think, believing in a lot of things that we don't see today, how can we have faith? Well, imagine a big cliff, let's say like a gorge. And on this side is where we are. And over here is full on believing what we're called to believe. And if you say, wow, I can't, I can't jump that far. That's, that's a big leap of faith. Faith is required for faith. Spoiler alert, by the way. But the point is, there are some things that get you closer. There are, when we study the Bible, we say, wow, these, these testimonies are reliable. They make sense in light of the historical witness. We have personal experiences. We have people's testimonies of faith. People who have followed Jesus, they, they get us closer. It's kind of like a bridge that may not take you all the way there. If there was a bridge that took us all the way there, I think everybody would believe the same thing. We'd all go, yep, just like we think gravity holds us to the ground. Uh, we all believe in this thing we're called to believe. There's still faith that's required, but there are things, there are, there are evidences. And what they're called here are signs that get us a little bit closer. A little bit of a side note. Another one of those situations where we don't have enough time to unwrap that. But I was thinking about God saying, all right, you're asking them to take a big leap of faith. I'm going to build a bridge and help them get closer to believing you. And we'll talk about why that's important in just a minute. But now back to Moses' concern. Maybe Moses should be convinced. He's got these cool signs. He can convince the people. No, he's not done. He has a couple more questions for God. Question number four. What if I'm a bad speaker? You're calling me to go and do some speaking, but what if I'm not a speaker? What if that's not in my wheelhouse? What if I just don't do speaking? Like I mentioned earlier, some people are like, I don't, I don't do public speaking. I think we all have our I don't do fill in the blanks, things that are just deal breakers for us. I don't do kids. Uh, I don't do cold calls. I don't do snakes. I don't do speaking. We all know what our, our limits are. We've said this before. Here's the reason I'm not going to do that, because I just don't do whatever it is. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I've slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, Well, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak. And I will teach you what to say. I bet Moses thought he had it. Like, uh, maybe you don't know this yet, God, but I'm not the speaker. If you want someone to go and speak to the Israelite elders, if you need someone to speak to Pharaoh and be convincing, I am not your guy. I stumble over my words. Isn't it ironic that Moses is trying to give a speech to God about why he doesn't give speeches. God says, okay, again, I will be with you. I'll give you the words. I will help you. So now Moses is all out of questions, reasons, excuses, except for one, and maybe he was saving this one for last. Question number five that God has for Moses. What if I just don't want to? What if I'm just not willing to do this? Verse 13, But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord, 
Please send someone else. He saved his best argument for last. He's like, yeah, I had some questions and you made some good points, but in the end, I just don't want to. Please make somebody else do it. I want to ask you at this point, are you feeling sympathy for Moses? Are you relating to him? Like you might be concerned, like this child on the edge of the pool going like, oh, you know, it's new for them. They're scared. They're reluctant. The parent in the pool has been saying, yeah, but you can trust me. Yeah, but your floaties are on. Yeah, but I'll catch you. Yeah, but there's no sharks. I'm going to make it. I want you to trust me. That's what God is calling Moses to do. When I'm with my kids, I can get, oh, okay, you're shy. Oh, no, no, trust me. Come on. I want you to jump. This will be fun. No, this is why we're here. We came to this pool. I want you to do something. I don't, I don't know why you're not listening to me. It goes from being cute to being kind of annoying. I don't know how you're feeling about Moses. You might be a little frustrated with his, his questions by now. And I think God is as well. There's some anger that we're going to hear from God. One of the reasons this story has been preserved and we can connect with this story is it's very relatable, this scene. You have probably been in a situation where you wanted somebody to do something and they just weren't willing to do it. And you tried to convince them. You tried to encourage them. You tried to equip them. And they're just, ah, I just don't want to. And you've probably also been in a situation where you've been on the receiving end of that. Somebody is telling you, hey, I, I, I want you to do this. Uh, I, just, I just don't want to. We've experienced this. And as people of faith, when we find ourselves in that position of God saying, hey, I'm calling you. I'm commissioning you. I want you to do something. We want to say yes. We want to want to say, yes, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'll do whatever you ask. But that's not always how it plays out. We all have our limits. We all have our, I just, I don't do whatever it is. And sometimes that can hold us back. We have our good intentions. Yeah, we say we're willing to do things, but we... We find our limits when we're pressed. Jesus' disciples discovered their limits. Matthew 26, it says, Peter replied to Jesus, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus said, Well, truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. But we know how the story goes. Nobody stood by Jesus. We see a lot of ourselves in this story. There's one thing you might notice. Our willingness to go, our, our reluctance to go. But we also see, we, we learn a lot about God in this encounter with Moses too. You might have noticed this. We learn that God is patient. Moses was not just allowed to have one question or excuse. He got to go through all of them and God worked through them with Moses. We discover that God works within our limitations and God will even limit himself because of our limitations. We'll talk about that in a second, but an image that came to mind is uh, that of Harry Houdini. This famous magician and escape artist from the early 20th century, he performed his uh, iconic straight jacket escape trick. Like he did that over 70 times, uh, like between the year 1925 and 1935, I think. 
He would get a regulation straight jacket made of this heavy canvas with leather straps and chains. Like, you know, your hands are like this. You can't move. It's designed to restrain people who need to be restrained. He, he allowed himself to go into this straight jacket. Lock it up. Make sure it's tight. Puts the lock in place and does his thing. Not only that, I mean, it's amazing enough to be able to escape from that, but Houdini started allowing people to hoist him up by his ankles. I think we have a, a, an image. Did I, did I put that picture in there? Yeah, I did. Okay. That's him dangling from a crane by his ankles. And he's holding the straitjacket that he escaped from. It's an amazing trick because of how constrained he was and the fact that he wasn't just doing it on the ground, but he was doing it while suspended in the air. Houdini allowed them to put the straitjacket on. He said, no, yeah, let's make this even better. Let's, let's let me be suspended by my ankles. And in a similar way, God allows himself to be restrained constrained because of Moses's reluctance, because Moses had some questions. God even changes his plan. Moses is like, I don't want to go. I don't want to speak. And God is a little angry, but he says, all right, let's send your brother. Aaron can go with you and he'll do the speaking, but you still need to go. Like, how can we, isn't it amazing that God will adjust his plans to accommodate someone like Moses, someone like us? God could just say, all right, I'm going to do this all myself. I'm going to make all this happen. But he says, no, no, no. It's important that we do this together. I'm going to work with you. It's something that we learn about God. We see that God will give us the assurances that we ask for. Moses is like, I need some signs or else these people won't be convinced. And God says, all right, here's three. Moses says, I don't do speaking. Send someone else. Okay, we'll send your brother Aaron. We also see in this passage that it's a real relationship between God and Moses. It's a dialogue. It's a back and forth. Moses changes his plans. He actually overcomes his fears, in some of them, in order to do what God asks. He adapts. And God even changes his expectations and waits and compromises in order to not leave Moses out. There's a, a real fear in this story. There's real urgency. And like I said, God even gets angry at Moses, like you might get angry with someone who's testing your patience for not being willing to trust you. And when it comes to this poolside example, if it's my kids, I could give you all sorts of reasons why it's safe and why you should do this and like to build up your confidence. But the one reason that really matters is just, I want you to trust me. I want you to know that I'm not going to let the sharks get you. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. I'm here. I want you to step out in faith. I want you to jump in. And that is what God is calling Moses to do. When God tells Moses his name, it's one of these confusing passages because of the, the vocabulary here. Scholars have studied this and said, well, he, he doesn't say Yahweh. He says, I am, or I am who I will be. People translate it in different ways. But one commentator I read said, the name that God gives Moses boils down to this meaning. I will be God for you. I will be all the God that you need in this situation. Oh, okay. That's the name that he sends him, he sends Moses with. And we're reminded, remember these posters when we said, God, we want you to free us from something, but we don't just want to be free so we can go and get stuck in another hole or get lost in a different darkness. We want you to free us toward something. We said, God, rescue me from this, but rescue me to this. And Moses tells, God tells Moses and the people, I'm going to free these slaves, but it's because I want them to come to me. I want them to be with me. There's a specific plan. We're going to free these people and then we're going to gather on this mountain and you're going to worship me. Now that sounds weird. 
Because we hear that and go, well, is God just an egomaniac? He needs people worshiping like, let's have a gathering where all you do is worship me. To our ears, that sounds a little bit sketchy. But if you truly are the God of the universe, and you are the best thing for your creation, and your desire for them is to be close to you and to trust in you and follow you and let me care for you, let me provide for you, then there's no arrogance in God's statement. He's just stating a fact. This is the best thing for you. And Moses, I want you to trust that. I want you to go because I will be with you. Moses has five questions, excuses that he brings before God. And within each one of God's responses is this idea, I will be with you. That's what I want you to trust. That's what God wants for us as well. He wants to lift the burdens in our lives that are caused by sin and death and the fear and shame that are caused by sin and death. He wants us to release us to live in relationship with him. Peter puts it like this. He says it way better than I could. He says, you are a chosen people and a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's, what does it say up there? Special possession. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you're God's special possession. It's true. That's good news. God wants you in the pool. He wants you to trust. Ah, I, ah, I want to be with you. Jesus puts it like this. He says, the thief comes to only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life have it to the full. I don't want you wandering around in the darkness. I don't want you making do with the best. Like, ah, this is fine. I'm good. He's like, no, no, no. I want you to, want you to discover what life really can be with me. Our question for us this morning, are we going to stop making excuses? Even though God will work within those, will we trust Jesus with our lives? Will we jump to him when he holds out his arms for us? Will we go when he says go? Moving on in the story. Moses and Aaron, they went. And here's what happens. Exodus 4, uh, down in verse 29. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. And he also performed the signs before the people. And they believed. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshipped. So everything worked out. It's a happy ending. That's how Exodus ends. There's no more story. We don't need to read anything else. That's it. Kid jumped in the water. Everybody had a great summer. The end. Everything works out just fine. Okay. I'm being a little facetious. That's not what happened. Here's what happened right after that. Okay. There's a big win. Telling the Israelite elders. Now they go to Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and they said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now, let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or the sword. But the king of Egypt said, 
Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you're stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You're no longer to supply the people with the straw for making bricks. Let them go, let them go, and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce their quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working. Pay no attention to lies. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. And when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put the sword in their hand to kill us. Didn't go like they hoped. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. They go and tell Pharaoh, Let us worship God. Pharaoh says, Nope. In fact, I'm going to make things harder for you. That makes the people mad. They go and blame Moses. Hey, why did you cause problems for us? We were doing just fine. And then Moses goes and takes his anger out on God and says, That went horribly. I knew I shouldn't have trusted you. He's in the water. He's all wet. He's coughing up. Ah! I shouldn't have trusted you. I knew this was a bad idea. I tried to warn you. And put yourself in Moses' shoes. He doesn't know what's about to happen. If you know this story, you know that some amazing things are about to happen. God really is going to care for his people. There's going to be, this is going to be like a turning point in God's relationship with his people. Moses, all he can see is his fear. He took a step of faith and ah, he got slapped down. Sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. Maybe that's why you have a, uh, I don't do this. I had a bad experience. I've learned my lesson. Fool me once. But unlike Moses, Jesus has a trust in God the Father that is, that's why we follow him. Listen to this scene from the garden. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. You might be familiar with that story as well. You might know where this story is going to. This is the trust that I want you to hold on to today. The example of Jesus saying, I'm not excited about what's going to happen, but not my will, yours be done. I want to wrap things up this morning by teaching you a prayer that a lot of Christians have been praying for centuries. It's a simple prayer. It's one that you can do, and I encourage you to do several times throughout your day. Uh, I'm just going to call it the one-minute prayer. It's for one minute several times a day, let's say like six or seven times a day, every hour, every hour and a half. You remember, just pause whatever you're doing and pray this prayer. God, 
What are we going to do together? What are we going to do together? For the next hour, God, open my eyes to see how I can help someone. How can I encourage someone? How can I bless someone? You're just, you're pausing and you're asking God, what are we going to do? This prayer does a couple of things. It acknowledges that God is with you. It's the thing that God wanted to convince Moses of. I, just trust me, I'm with you. I'll go with you. I'll give you the words. I'll be, I'll be all the God that you ever need. It acknowledges, God, I'm not alone. Let's do something together. God, for the, next, for the next hour, what are we going to do together? Reminds you that God is with you. And it also says what Jesus says in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done. Sometimes we pray prayers that go, God, this is what I want, and I need you to help me get it. And it's okay to know what you want. Moses knew what he wanted and didn't want, and like I said, God will work with that. But a more faithful prayer is to say, God, what do you want? Do I even know what this next hour is going to look like if we did something together? So it's an invitation to say, God, open my heart. Reveal some things to me. And in this next hour of our day, together, let's do something good for the sake of your kingdom. Does that make sense? It's a one-minute prayer. It's really simple. And if you do it, it just sort of like recalibrates your day, reminds you that we're sent, like Moses is sent. We're on a commission to be ambassadors of Christ, to be the light of the world. So I want to commission you to do this prayer. Try it. Five, six times a day throughout the rest of this week. See how it goes. Just to get us started, I want to I do this right now. I want to take 60 seconds and I want you to pray this silently. God, what are we going to do together for the next hour? What are we going to do after church? What are we going to do this afternoon for your kingdom, for your purposes? And I want to invite, this is optional, but Sometimes when I pray and I'm asking God for something, I hold my hands out like this in a receiving posture. It's weird. If you're sitting or you're standing, like this is an abnormal way of putting your body. So it's an intentional way of just going, okay, why, why are my hands facing up? That feels uncomfortable. Well, it's a, like a physical bodily reminder that you're expecting something from God. You're attentive. You're listening for what, wherever God wants to send you. You're saying, God, what are we going to do together for the next until we meet again, till, till I ask the next time. So, I want to invite you to do that. You can hold up your hands, you don't have to, um, but 60 seconds. Let's pray this prayer together. God, what are we going to do together?